When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Darren's up next, then it'll be Terry. Good morning, Darren. Oh, howdy, Bob. How you doing? I'm great, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful. Excellent. Hey, uh, had a had a quick comment uh, when you were talking about the chill hours and wanting to have a uh, a weather underground uh, type thing. There's a there's a website called GetChill.net. Okay. And and it and it you can put in your uh, whatever your local weather underground station identification number is. And okay. pick the dates that that you want, and it'll actually calculate your chill hours for your for your local for your local area. It will give you so thought, it'll give you real time information. In effect, there there are lots of things that will tell you what the average chill hour is, but uh, this will give right. you real time. This, this one actually cal- yes, sir, it does. It calculates it directly off of that uh, that station's uh, information. So as long as that information's good, then it will uh, it'll actually tell you. And it uses five different models. Wow, uh, of, of hours, which is which is interesting because I don't know. I mean, I always thought that the the one that goes from the thirty two to forty five is probably the the most popular one to use. I'm guessing, or mm-hmm. do you do you have well, a preference? You know, some people say that it has to be above thirty two, but that's not been my experience. And when I look oh, at okay. a lot of the northern apple growers and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. they've got a lot, in fact, the majority of their hours are going to be below 32. And so, uh, I'm, I don't fall into that school. I, I would go with, uh, you know, the whole thing below, below 45 degrees is what I'd be looking at. But, uh, um, but you've really informed me. I've made notes here and I promise you I'm going to be checking that out because that's, that's, that's <laughs> wonderful information. Yeah. I'll, I'll be looking at what 78006 is uh, shortly after the show. Absolutely, yeah. Now, when you mentioned that, I said, "Well, wow, I came across this because I've used it several times." Now I have the La Feliciana peaches, uh-huh. and uh, they they did terrific last year. And I'm looking forward to this year again because I'm I'm looking, and we've already hit 450 chill hours uh, uh, where I am between New Braunfels and Seguin. But you have and to be so, uh, you you have to be aware of the same problem that the earlier caller had. Is that now that you've met your chill hours, if we get two weeks mm-hmm. of warm weather, your trees are going to bloom, and there's yeah. there's an old farmers or whatever adage that says uh, thunder in January, freeze in April. I had a bunch of thunder uh, in January, so I'm hoping we <laughs> yeah. avoid that late freeze for many reasons. Uh, I I agree, but there's really not much you can do other than just hope for the best, correct? Uh, That's exactly right. And as old Malcolm Beck used to say, I love the weather. What would we have to talk about without it? Yeah, amen to that. Well, Darren, listen, thank you for sharing that with me. I, I sincerely do appreciate that. Ah, absolutely. No problem. Yeah, I just, I found it useful myself. Um, also wanted to, uh, kind of mention, um, I know uh, a lot of the uh, pecan growers. I have a couple of uh, nice mature pecan trees in my yeah. front yard, and um, every, uh, my whole neighborhood actually does, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, but every, you know, everybody of course battles the, uh, the webworms. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I applied. I, I bought. I ordered some of those uh, trichogramma wasps right. and, and uh, put, put them out. I had a I had a, a challenge keeping the the little ants from stealing the the eggs, but uh, after that, then uh, 
they they all hatched out and they seemed to do a pretty good job of of I was one of the ones that only had just a few uh web, sure. webworm nests. Are you are you a fisherman? Are you a fisherman? Yes, sir. Okay, yes, you sir. find find a real thin monofilament line and mm-hmm. you know, not a braided line, but uh you know, like a two pound test monofilament line. Hang your uh-huh. little strips with that and those ants can't can't walk down and can't cross it. Great idea. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I was trying to use a nail and the the, I mean, everywhere I tried to move it, those those stinking ants would find them, and <laughs> so it was a challenge. I, I think I think I kept them off pretty well, but yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it well, wasn't you of, you go you go fun. reel off a little of that super lightweight uh, monofilament line, and just you uh, know put idea. about a a ten inch uh, piece on that. You've already got that little hole in the top of the card, probably, and just uh, leave enough yeah. to wrap it around the limb, make a little noose on loop on there, and hang it up there, and no more yeah. ant problems. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to do that this time. With that, with that in mind, though, um, I looked. I've looked on um, um, the uh, DirtDoctor.com to see. You know, he talks about trichogrammas, but with with pecans, then um, is is there a certain number of of times you should uh, you know put those out? Um, I mean, are, it seems like uh, towards the end of the season, I put them out a little late. I already mm-hmm. had webworms for one thing, but it seemed to really control them quite well. Uh, but I only did one, one release, and towards the end, then it seemed like there was maybe some more nests coming on. Well, your yeah, your your professional growers are releasing for two mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, first mm-hmm. is to prevent that nut case bearer, which you know is a real menace to your pecan crop. Sure. And they will typically yes, make one release for that in early March, one release for the nutcase bearers again in April. Now, as far okay. as controlling your webworms, um, if you make uh, usually one release April or uh, on into May, you'll pretty much knock out 100% of the webworms. But they usually oh, do great. two releases. And the idea behind that, when you buy that little strip, and what you're buying, of course, is little moth eggs that have the developing wasp larvae right. inside, mm-hmm. you're getting you know two to four thousand of them on that little paper card what you would like is to put them out early enough that they can go through two generations because every little wasp is going to parasitize you know 200 or more eggs of the caterpillars Uh and so you know square 200 that's uh that's how many more times if you put out 200 wasps you know you're controlling what 40,000 eggs or something like that right but if you mm-hmm. then have 40,000 wasps and every one of them goes out and gets 200 eggs now we're up into uh exponential numbers and if you put them out early enough to get two generations reproducing then instead of having a platoon of soldiers you've got two full armies of soldiers out there so that's what the timing is all about don't you don't want to release right when we expect the case barrier moths to be running around we want to release about two to three weeks before that so that we have a bigger army Uh to go after the eggs great okay um and so i mean i guess at some point these uh the the generations just play out i'm guessing yeah yeah. the the little wasp only lives a few days and Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't lay an egg that can hatch and form a wasp it lays an egg that has to have the the nutrient that's stored in that uh in that egg 
that's what allows the little wasp to develop and form a mature wasp. And yeah. uh, there is, they do overwinter to some extent, but when the food mm-hmm. supply goes away, their numbers go down. It's just like beneficial nematodes. Beneficial nematode lives yeah. 60 days, and as long as it's finding a host to reproduce in, there are going to be plenty of little new nematodes produced. But once the uh, host supply dries up, then your numbers are going to mm-hmm. drop way back. And that's why we typically, you know, put them out every year. I mean, it's nothing new. We've always had trichogramma wasps around. But having one wasp compared to having, you know, 50,000 wasps, uh, it's just if you really want good control, you need uh, you need to give them some support. You need to really increase their populations. Uh, okay, fabulous. And then it's one more quick question, if I could. Certainly. Um, so uh, I heard you talking about growing papayas, and I guess really our only option is to grow them in a pot. Is that correct for for our for our area? Well, yes and no. A papaya will produce whether it's little Caribbean papaya or whether it's a Mexican papaya. It takes about mm-hmm. ten months of growth to start having papayas, and okay. so what you can do is you can start those papaya seeds right now, and you can keep them inside for the first well between now and whenever we're past the danger of freezing weather, and mm-hmm. in sixty days you should be able to start out a little you know, papaya that's going to be two, three feet tall by the time you put it outside. And you've just added two months to the growing season. And so if you start your papayas in a pot inside and get them up to a good size and are able to plant out a big tree instead of planting out a little seed, then you normally get, Mm -hmm. you know, you'd be harvesting papayas the first year. And the Caribbean papayas are a little more compact tree, but that Mexican papaya, that tree is going to be, you know, 15 to 25 feet tall. So it's Mm -hmm. not really practical to try to grow them in a greenhouse or, for that matter, to protect them. But if you can, Uh, you can easily, you can grow a tree up to four or five feet tall in your greenhouse or garden room or wherever. But by, by having two to three months head start, in growing when you put it out, then you've got time to produce papayas within that first season. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah, because I, I started, I've, I have two plants, and I, I started them like last, um, I guess, in the uh, in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to buy a papaya at the, at the store. I don't even know where it came from, to be honest. Uh, I was I would assume Mexico. But um, then um, I, I, I took a bunch of the seeds. I gave some to my mom. I started a few of the plants in them little starter and they grew and I was kind of kind of surprised so I went ahead and put them like I've got them in about probably about a three gallon pot right now two mm-hmm. of them but I, I don't know is that, that's probably not big enough is it um no that'll be fine that'll get them up to a good okay. size but but here's the okay. here's the other issue was this a uh caribbean papaya or was this a mexican papaya you got the seed from I, I, that's what i'm saying i don't remember it was okay. i just bought one at walmart that day yeah. and, and i found the seeds interesting so okay. i tried to plant them and they grew <laughs> well here's the thing about yeah. the uh the little caribbean papayas they are what we call monetius uh literally the latin means one house and a hmm. a caribbean papaya will have male and female flowers on the same plant so you get uh, fruit on every plant potentially oh. uh-huh. the mexican papaya is dioecious which means that we have male plants and female plants and so yeah. if okay. you've got two females or two males um you're out of luck unless somebody in the right. neighborhood has you know the opposite sex out there so right. if you're going to be growing your mexican papayas from seed and and short of an expensive lab test you can't tell which it is until the flowers form yeah. 
So if you're collecting okay. seeds from a Mexican papaya, start about 15 mm-hmm. or 20 seeds so you'll be sure you do have some of both male and female plants. And, I mean, once they start to bloom, if you want to leave one male plant and cut out the other half of them that are male to make more room for the females, uh, uh, <laughs> all the feminists in the world out there probably say, now there's a good idea. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's that's the problem with Mexican papaya is you've got to grow more plants in order to be sure that you uh, are going to get the female plants, which are obviously the ones that are going to produce a fruit. Oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, going forward, I'll know that now, so I'll have to <laughs> okay. uh, be informed and, and do better. <laughs> Here's the one other issue to be careful about, is yes, that uh, the Mexican papayas uh, are pretty much non-GMO. Many of the Hawaiian papayas are genetically modified, and there are a lot of us okay. that like staying away from GMO crops. Now, if you know how to Same read here. the little mm-hmm. numbers on the on the skew tags, you can tell whether it's genetically modified or not, but that's just... One more little factor okay. to throw into the equation. Didn't know they had that, but okay, I'm glad to know that. Thanks, Bob. That's what I'm here for. Darren, I appreciate the call. Hey. Thank, Thank you. you very much for the information. You're Bye-bye. always welcome. Thank you. Bye. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Bob. It's nice to talk with you again. Well, it's nice to hear from you. What's going on today? Well, I actually had my lawn guy um, spread a layer of compost on um, my front lawn. Excellent. And so I just I just wanted to ask you a question. Should I just now go ahead and water it in? I was hoping we would get some rain, but apparently not. So should I water it in? Okay, that's a great question, and here's the answer. Um, watering it in is not necessary. It's not going to burn. It's not going to cause any problems if it doesn't get watered. But if you water it, it will help capture some of the nutrients in it that might actually, you know, volatize, just be disappear into the air. And uh, it certainly will help move the things that are not going to volatize, the humic acids, the fulvic acids, all the good things that are in compost. It will get that those things started moving down into the soil. So if you're really concerned, you know, about your sewer rates, uh, this is a time of year that... uh, uh, they base your sewer rate for the coming year based on how much water you use. And if you're really trying to reduce your water use, skip it. You don't have to do it at all. But if you want the best landscape-wise, yeah, I think it'd be great to water it in. Does that make okay. sense? Um, it makes perfect sense. I just wanted to make sure. I, I figured that was the answer. But, you know, I just always have to come to you to make sure it's correct. (laughs) Well, you know me. I've made every mistake that can be made in the gardening world. And that's my main thing is try to keep you from messing up the same things that I've messed up over the years. (laughs) Well, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and weekend. And I appreciate the call, Terry. Thank you. You do so. Bye. Goodbye. All right. Mike's turn. Good morning, Mike. Bob. Yes, sir. I've got four purple sages about four to five feet tall that i have to move okay and so i was wondering is this a good time to do that this is the best time and the sooner the better don't put it off every day we get closer to spring and summer months the lower your chances of being successful i mean we're still in january this is still the perfect time to do it but uh, no more procrastination at this point you need to get it done dig your new holes uh mike so that the you know those plants will not be the root systems won't spend any time out of the ground and literally are you moving them some distance or you just moving them within your yard 
No, just moving them. Uh, with, uh, I've got a ranch, and, and okay. just moving them. Uh, not, uh, not too far. No. Yeah, well, just one at a time. Dig it up, plant it in its new hole, water it in. The thing about sinesis and most other sages, well, most other plants for that matter, is do not let the root systems dry out. And, uh, if, right. you know, if you told me, well, I'm going to take it down to the back 40 and my ranch is so big that 17 miles away and we can all dream of that right. kind of ranch, then I'd tell you, put them yeah. in containers, water them in, and then haul them down and replant them. But if they're, if they're nearby, just do it one at a time. Uh, the, the secret to success here is just don't let the root systems dry. Okay. I've already got two of the holes prepared. I dug them, uh, I dug the holes a little wider than, than probably I should, uh, but I didn't. I, I want to keep in mind uh, to have that root flare exposed yeah. whenever I plant, whenever exactly. I move them. Mm-hmm. Now, do do I need to improve that soil uh, in the new holes no. that I'm going to put them into? No, and here's the reason. If you make that soil too good, the plants have no reason to grow their roots beyond that improved soil. They want to just grow in that same soil where you've made it so nice, when you just backfill with your native soil, then these plants are going to spread out, establish that widespread root system. That's what's going to make them drought tolerant and, you know, long lasting for you. So I think it's fine to put some fertilizer on the surface. I think it's fine to put some mulch on the surface, but as far as what goes back in the hole, no, I'd use the same dirt that came out. Okay. And do I prune them? Not necessary. In fact, I think it would be ill-advised. Uh, plants that are xeric, plants that like it dry, the biggest danger that they have is staying too wet. And the uh-huh. so-called experts, although I'm certainly not going to say all meteorologists are experts, some more than others, but the people that are supposed to know are telling us that this is going to be a wetter-than-average spring. And the more foliage you take off, the more you have limited those plants' ability to get rid of the excess moisture in the soil. So if four feet tall, five feet tall, no, I wouldn't prune them. If you told me these things were eight or nine feet tall, yeah, I'd probably I'd probably cut them back to some extent. But uh, how long have they been? Are these native plants or are these some you planted earlier? Uh, these are some that I planted all several years ago. Okay. Yeah. And it's no, several no years, is that three years, five years, 15 years? How long is yeah, several? Yeah, about five years ago, okay. yeah. Yeah, you're, they will have spread their roots out, but you're still going to get kind of the core root system that you started with, so I think you're going to be close to 100% successful in your transplants. Now, then, do I take a, a, a sharpshooter and surround the plant? You know, I mean, uh, take a sharpshooter and dig all around the plant before I try to pull it out of the ground if we you know if we've been talking last september i would have told you to go around make those cuts and then you know let the plants go ahead and start branching and getting more roots at this point um you're you're just going to go ahead and dig them i happen to think sharpshooter is the best shovel out there to dig Uh and you never want to physically just rip them out of the ground but as far as digging and leaving them for a while no at this point we need to get them transplanted so a sharpshooter is my shovel of choice but it's for a totally different reason here just want to get as much of the root as you can go all the way around it and then kind of undercut it and try not to break Uh up that root ball any more than you can help and dig around as far as the drip line. I mean, go go out to the drip line before I start digging, or, or a, no? a four foot tall uh, purple sage. 
I would want a root ball that's maybe 15 inches wide. So go out eight inches okay. from the main trunk in all directions. Don't don't pay much attention to how that would correspond to the drip line. And I'm more concerned about the size of the root ball. Four-foot plant, I want a root ball about 15 inches in diameter, and uh, that may or may not be right at the drip line. Okay. All right. Good. Another thing, you, you brought up uh, Medina Fertilizer. It reminded me of, of something else. Does Stuart, Frankie, and them, do they have uh, – bagged dry molasses that you know of i don't believe they do and um unless they can figure out the secret that nature's creation has come up with i wouldn't encourage them to because 90 percent of the dry molasses process products out there if you don't use them very quickly they will turn into a building block that you could build a skyscraper out of i think uh nature's creation and possibly there's one other brand called nature's guide they're the only two i've ever found that have a dry molasses product that does not clump up on you so uh i'm pretty sure medina doesn't and even if they did i'm not sure it'd be one i'd recommend to you you see the reason why i ask it is i have several fields with improved grasses that like Mm -hmm. And then the coastal. Right. And instead of going with uh, commercial fertilizer, I'm going to try to start with, uh, you know, uh, using molasses and whatnot. But the thing is, is I do not have a fertilizer spreader. You know, mm-hmm. if I go down to Hondo to pick up the fertilizer, I have no way to, to transfer, you know, to uh, to bring it up here sure. to where I'm at. And so, anyway, I. I you know, I don't know if they if they rent the fertilizer spreaders down there or, or not. You, you know, know, I don't have any idea. I don't think Stewart does. I know that, uh, you know, down at uh, um, uh, our, our friends that have the, the feed stores, why am I, Fred Morales. Morales has a hill country location now. And Fred will actually, and I think they're still operating their hill country. In fact, I'm pretty sure they are. They will actually sell you the fertilizer in a spreader. And uh, they may even deliver it to you, but basically you just uh, get that, that spreader that's already loaded, and your only responsibility is getting that that empty spreader back to them after you do it so if you want to go with a true fertilizer product you certainly can do that now here's the other thing on molasses is it the only thing you're getting with dry molasses the only benefit is that it's a lot easier to spread if you have a boom type sprayer um you know the liquid molasses is just as good as dry molasses and it costs about 10 percent you know as far as uh, gallon per gallon of actual uh, molasses and um, I would just be, you know, if I've got acreage to do, I'm just going to use uh, my good old Continental Belt and Sprayer and a cheap old Ag Molasses, which can run me a couple of dollars a gallon. Instead of uh, buying the dry molasses, I could put out with a, you know, with a dry, I've got a little dry fertilizer spreader. I can put about 200 pounds at a time in. But just cost right. savings, um, going with liquid molasses is going to give you the same results. You want to put about out about five gallons of uh, molasses per acre, and uh, you're, yeah. you're not gaining anything except the convenience of spreading in uh, buying dry molasses. Liquid molasses can do the same thing for you. Yeah, well, we're talking some pretty good-sized fields. I mean 20 and 30 acres and whatnot. Yeah, and but, so anyway, I was going to, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to, you know, go – go natural instead mm-hmm. of use my you know for years i've just used you know a commercial fertilizer sure but you know i don't i don't i don't have in the place where i always get the fertilizer is you know they supply the boom sprayers and all that kind of sure. stuff 
Sure. So I don't know if I don't know if Frankie and them if they got <laughs> if they got a boom sprayer or not. I don't they think are. they're in that business. But call Morales yeah. Feed. Talk to Fred himself. Uh, you probably okay. call the Pleasanton location on that. And um, Pleasanton and, or Divine. Um, either one. Either one, okay. and uh, I think they're uh, I think they're hill country stores in Utopia or somewhere up that way, which is it's a lot closer to you than Pleasanton is. And uh, but talk to Fred, and uh, you may be able to get the uh, uh, the Medina fertilizer already in a spreader for you, so you don't have to. Um, so you can just you know switch over and use a dry product that you're used to. Okay, uh, one other quickie uh, concerning uh, my black Spanish grapes. Uh, is it too early to prune? No, it's a great time to prune. Okay, all right, good deal. All right, that's all I ne- that's all I've got. It sounds like you got a busy day, Mike. Enjoy it. All right, thank you, Bob. Thank you, Appreciate sir. Uh, my pleasure. Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It is JT's turn. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning. I was have a couple of questions on planting some wildflower seeds. Okay. I have a couple acre patch getting prepared for, I guess, late winter, early spring planting. And I had a question on timing and procedure, how to do that. We've got uh, purple tansy and uh, horse mint, lemon mint. Okay. Tiny little seeds. And uh, the only instructions they had from the, from wild seed performance is mix it with a, you know, bulk it up either with vermiculite or sand or something like that. But um, and the only reason that you do that is just to, you know, both of those are fairly small seeds, and you're just making it a little bit, little bit easier to distribute. Now, whether you want to do that, if and if you want good even coverage, yeah, you probably should do that. You should put your seed out with some kind of spreader. What I do is wait for a windy day when the wind's blowing the right direction, and I will get upwind and literally throw that seed up and just let Mother Nature spread it out and plant it. The only the only thing that I'll tell you that, that you didn't mention in the instructions there is that it is important that you have good seed-to-soil contact. Uh, you don't have to bury the seeds, but you don't want those seeds, you know, sitting up on top of... Uh, detritus, dead leaves, uh, twigs, things like that. You want that seed actually coming in contact with the soil. So if this is an area that, you know, has a lot of dead or dry grass or something like that, uh, you could run over it with a, you know, just a shallow little uh, uh, disc harrow, or you could just, in effect, drag it. I used to, you know, put a couple of cedar logs behind the Jeep and just chain them on there and just drag across the field uh, to pretty much uh, just kind of scarify, just scar up the soil so that when I put out the seeds, the seed would be coming in contact with soil. But uh, that's the only other thing. Beyond that, uh, it's time to get them planted. I mean, we're we're here in the middle of February. We're, we're way too late on many kinds of wildflower, uh, but the tansy, the lemon mint, uh, the monardas, all the monardas should be a pretty good time to put them out. Yeah, what I've done, there was a pretty good uh, sod of native grass there, and I went mm-hmm. through a little tiller, it's not tiller, but little, we call it, they're just little sweeps. Yeah, yeah. And just as shallow as I could run it to break that up, and yeah. then the plan is to really lightly disc that, and I was going to drag it with a hair and then roll it with a culture packer after I get the seeds down. 
I think you're going to a lot more work than you really have to. All those things are good things to do, but you must have a little more uh, spare time in your life than I do in mine. Oh, and, well, I don't. That's my problem. That's why I didn't get them done last fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, get, uh, you know, run over it lightly with that disc harrow just to, uh, just to get some soil exposed. Get your seed out, and then if you've got time to roll it, if you've got time to do anything else, go ahead and do it. But it is time. We need to get the seeds out. And uh, like I say, the only thing I'm real concerned about with either of those seed is just getting it in contact with the soil. And um, so... I was trying to do it when we had rain coming, but I don't, it, it creeped out on the rain the last few times when it was predicted coming through. So. Yeah, but we're going to get rain. And those yeah. seeds are small enough, and they're not really attractive to uh, uh, rodents or to birds. So if they have to lie there for a couple of weeks before they get the moisture, so be it. Yeah, well, it looks like fine ground black pepper, and yeah. trying to spread that over two acres. I wouldn't hope she'd be able to do it with the tractor broadcast spread. Yeah. But she thinks I'll just do it the Johnny Appleseed version and walk it. And well, see, the problem with mixing it, uh, especially something light like vermiculite or something like that, uh, you're still going to get seed settling out. You're gonna you're going to get a lot of seed in the bottom of the spreader and not as much in the top. So. Uh, yeah, That's it's what had me worried, yeah. um and and you're not going to get a 100% uniform stand, you know, of either of these things, but you're going to get them planted and as John Thomas at Wildseed would tell you first, I mean, he talks about bluebonnet. He says when they go through the seeds collecting or go through the fields collecting the seed, they probably don't get more than 15-20% of the seed. So mother nature after your plants are up and growing, her next seed crop is going to be 20 times more seed than what you're putting out now. You're just getting it started, and two, three years from now, if weather cooperates, you're going to have a very thick stand. Yeah, okay. All right, so I don't have to worry about frost and all that. Just go ahead and get it out now. I just get it out now. They're, those are good, hardy plants unless we get a, you know, a frigid, frigid norther which is not likely you get them planted now you're going to look at two weeks germination by that time we're in the middle of february and we can get a freeze but we're probably not going to get severe weather awesome deal thanks for your all you do bob always a pleasure jt i appreciate the call thank you sir you too bye